Hi there, this is Darren Spoo, pastor at First Baptist Church in Tulsa, and welcome to our weekly message podcast. We would invite you to join us in person Sunday morning at 8.30 and 11 o'clock in downtown Tulsa, or check out our webpage at tulsafbc.org. God bless you, and have a great week. So sometimes it helps if you hear the whole story. It is currently illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket in the state of Kentucky. Now you hear that, that it's illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket in the state of Kentucky, and you think, well, that's just another example of bad lawmakers and a backwards state. But then you want to hear the whole story. So back before automobiles, horses were primarily a mode of transportation, and because they were prized in that way, they were valuable in the eyes of thieves. And what horse thieves would often do to steal a horse, they found this little trick. See, horses love sweet things like ice cream cones, and they could put an ice cream cone in their back pocket, and as they walk by a horse, they let the horse sniff that ice cream cone. And of course, the horse begins to follow that ice cream cone. And a horse thief, without laying a hand on the horse, could walk down the street and around the corner, and unless somebody stopped you and said, what are you doing with that horse? You go, nothing, I've not laid a hand on the horse. But if you could get around the corner, you could steal a horse and be off. And obviously, because many thieves used that technique, there was a law passed that it's illegal to carry an ice cream cone in your back pocket in the state of Kentucky. Sometimes, to make sense of things, it helps to hear the whole story. And so we're talking about anger, and I want you to think how much of our anger really is a result of our assumptions, that we don't know the whole story. And sometimes our anger is a result of our negative thinking, that if we don't understand something, then those people over there are ignorant, and those people over there are evil, that either they don't know what they're doing, or they know exactly what they're doing, and they're up to no good. So much of our anger is a result of our own assumptions of believing people are either ignorant or evil, and here's the bottom line, so much of our anger is a result of thinking that if the whole world would just think like me, then there wouldn't be any problems at all. Sometimes we just need to hear the whole story. And so today I want you to hear a long story. We're going to take some time to unpack this. For me, this is Uh, one of my favorite accounts in the Bible because it reminds us that really as so much as the world has changed, really people are pretty much exactly as they've always been. So this is Joshua chapter 22, big sweep of history. The Israelites have come out of slavery from Egypt after 400 years, after 40 years in the desert. They're finally going into the promised land. By the way, we often talk about the promised land, the nation of Israel And we have a tough time understanding the geography of all of this. So a couple of years ago when I led my first trip to Israel, uh, I wanted people to become familiar with the the geography of of the Holy Land. And so I explained it in the class one night. And afterwards, a friend of mine named Jerry, she came up, who's blind, legally blind. And she said, you know, I heard you describing this map. Can Can you draw it on my hand so I can understand? And all of a sudden some light bulbs went on for me. And I thought, you know... Really, you have a map of Israel right here on your hand. And so I want to ask you, if you would, just take out your left hand and hold it in front of you. Okay. And I'm going to hold this up so you can see. So just imagine this being the nation of Israel. And just to get your bearings, 
Uh, down here below your palm is Africa. Up here above your pinky is Asia. Up here above your pointy finger is Europe. Isn't it interesting that God chose the nation of Israel and He gave them a land right at the crossroads of civilization? It tells me that God doesn't want His people to be out here over in a safe little self-contained area. He put His people right at the crossroads of the world, and I believe He calls Christians to be at that same crossroads today. So here at the intersection of three continents, you have the nation of Israel. Here's the Mediterranean Sea right here where your thumb and your index finger are. You have the Mediterranean Sea. And then imagine your ring finger being the Jordan River, okay? Up here, the top of your ring finger would be the Sea of Galilee where Jesus would fish with his disciples. Down here in your palm is the Dead Sea and this, the whole uh, River Jordan runs here right along the, the ring finger of your hand. And so really the, the Holy Land is the first and second finger right over here. This is the promised land. And so Joshua, where we pick up this story in Joshua 22, after 400 years of slavery, after 40 years of crossing the desert, the Israelites finally reached the pinky plateau right over here is what I'm going to call it. And they're getting ready to cross the Jordan River. And that's where three tribes... The Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they get over here to this pinky plateau and they go, we like this territory over here. We know that God has given us this land of Israel, but, but we like this area. We raise cattle and, and this land is great for cattle raising, so can we just have this land over here? Joshua is a young leader and he's trying to figure this out as he goes. Uh, by the way, a man, man by the name of Ben Sleeney his first day on the job as the National Aviation Administrator Chief Operations Manager. He's in charge of all the flights over U.S. soil. His first day on the job was September 11, 2001. What a terrible first day on the job. And his first decision was to ground 4,000 flights because they were all potential terrorist attacks. So here, Joshua on the edge of the Holy Land, he's trying to direct traffic. He's trying to get all of the tribes to settle in the areas that God has promised them. And here, these three tribes are saying, let us settle here on the east bank of the Jordan River. What could go wrong? Well, something does go wrong. And, and by the way, what Joshua does is he says, okay, I'll let you have this land over here, but you're going to cross over with the rest of the tribes, help them to conquer all their land, then you can come back home. And that's exactly what has happened. The Israelites, for the most part, have taken the Holy Land. Now they come back, the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they go back to their land east of the Jordan, and here's what plays out next. This is Joshua 22, verse 10. Then they came to Gelioth near the Jordan in the land of Cana. The Reubenites, by the way, they make great sandwiches, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, built an imposing altar there on the Jordan. And when the Israelites heard that they had built an altar on the border of Canaan at Gelioth, near the Jordan on the Israelite side, the whole Israelite body gathered at Shiloh to go to war against them. Okay, so what's happening here? As I've said, all the tribes have settled their area, and the Reubenites, Gadites, half-tribe of Manasseh, they're here on the other side of the Jordan River, settled back in their area, but... They built an imposing altar on the banks of the Jordan. Why is this a big deal? And by the way, people have been fighting about monuments and statues for a long time, have they not? The reason this is a big deal 
is that God wanted to be one God over his one people. And this one God and one people, they would relate to each other by having one law. You are to obey me. And then you're to worship me in one place, one place to offer sacrifices. Currently, that's Shiloh. Ultimately, that would be Jerusalem. But here it seems that these three tribes on the eastern side of the Jordan, they built another altar like the one in Shiloh, and what that was interpreted as, as the, the other tribes on the West Bank were saying, you know what? They are being disloyal to God's people. They are being disobedient to God's command. They are causing disunity among the 12 tribes. How dare they build another altar when we've all been commanded to worship at one place? And so they interpret it as an act of disobedience to God, and they interpret it as an act of an excuse for war. Sometimes it helps to hear the whole story. One of the key words in this passage we just read is, they heard they had built an altar. You know, sometimes we can get angry because of rumors. Sometimes we can get angry because we make assumptions. Sometimes we can get angry because we think we can read people's minds, that we see an action over here that we don't understand, and we think, oh, I know what they're thinking. They're doing that because, and before you know it, we're angry. Sometimes it helps to hear the whole story. And this is going to be my refrain today as we learn how to deal with this unpredictable emotion of anger in our own lives. Here's the thing. Anytime you see something that doesn't make sense, you need to ask yourself the question, am I sure I have all the facts? And then, here's my refrain, find out for yourself. When you hear something, a rumor, when you assume something, when you think you can read somebody's mind, before you become angry, find out for yourself. Fortunately, that's exactly what Joshua and the people of Israel do. Verse 13, so the Israelites sent Phinehas, son of Eleazar, the priest, to the land of Gilead, to Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh. With him they sent ten chief men. One of them had to be named Ferb, just saying, Phinehas and Ferb. So sent men, one from each of the tribes of Israel, each the head of a family division among the Israelite clans. When they had reached Gilead to Reuben, Gad, the half-tribe of Manasseh, they said to them, the whole assembly of the Lord says, how could you break faith with the God of Israel like this? How could you turn away from the Lord and build yourselves an altar in rebellion against Him now? Now what happens is, I'm not going to read these next verses, but 17, 18, 19, 20, 20, down to 21, they list some of the sins that had happened in Israel up to this point that had brought problems on the entire community. So I love what Joshua does here. He hears a rumor. They make some assumptions. Maybe even they try to read the minds of the Reubenites, the Gadites, the half-tribe of Manasseh, but he decides to find out for himself. So he sends Phineas. He sends the chief priest. He sends somebody who he can trust that their only agenda is to find out the truth. And again, if you see something that makes you angry, 
find out for yourself what is happening. And then we see Phineas do this. Not only did Joshua send the right people, but Joshua asked the right questions. How can you break faith with God? Listen, if you want to find out the truth for yourself, as you approach a confrontation with that, you need to decide, do you want to just vent or do you want to give the opportunity to repent? Because if you just want to vent, it's probably not going to do anybody any good. But if you want to create the opportunity to repent, either let a person change what they're doing that is ignorant or evil, or you change your mind. That repentance goes both ways. Here's another way of saying it. Do you want to give somebody just a piece of your mind, or do you want to restore peace? So I'll give it a couple examples of, of hearing the whole story today. This one is about the church. So it was on a Monday morning. This was several years ago. I received um, a message on Facebook. I saw a message on Facebook so I can't believe that First Baptist Church and Darren Spoo would, would do such a thing. Okay, well, antennas go up all over the place. What had happened, the person in this Facebook post attends another church here in Tulsa, and when she came out to her car after attending her church, evidently somebody had put invitation cards for First Baptist Tulsa at this other church on every windshield of every car. This is a great outreach opportunity. I've never thought of this before. But, but somebody had taken these invitation cards and had put them on every car windshield at this other church. And this person had taken a picture of that card. I can't believe Darren Spoon First Baptist Church would do this and posted it to social media. So all of a sudden, my Monday became upended. First thing I did was call the pastor of this church and we're friends. And I said, listen, this has happened. I, I don't know anything yet. Pastor said, I hadn't even heard about this. I said, well, I'll, I'll get to the bottom of it and I'll get back to you soon. So we, we drilled down on it and found out that, and I'm, I'm not making uh, any condemnation here, just a mentally disturbed person had taken a handful of our invitation cards, and for some reason that probably made sense only to them, they distributed them at this other church. So it was a mentally unstable person that did this. So I reached back out to the pastor, gave the report. He said, we're fine, we're good. I also contacted the person who made the Facebook post, gave them the rest of the story, and then I asked, would you take down your post? What I wanted to ask but didn't, what I wanted to ask for was also an apology because this person had taken it upon themselves to vent before they heard the whole story. Now people had read it, the damage was done. It's one thing to take down the post, it's another thing to apologize. I didn't ask for that because really for it to be genuine, it's something that person needs to think of for themselves. And as far as I know, that apology was never given. But before you vent, before you give somebody a piece of your mind, why don't you decide that you would rather have peace instead? Sometimes it helps to hear the whole story. Find out for yourself. And so that's exactly what Joshua does by sending Phineas. Fortunately, there is more to the story. And, and you know what? We do live in a world where people are ignorant. We do live in a world where people are evil, but not everybody, and not all the time. And if we just made it a point to find out for ourselves and to hear the whole story, how much conflict would just be eliminated? Verse 21, then Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh replied to the heads of the clans of Israel. They make an oath here. The mighty one, 
God, the Lord, the mighty one, God, the Lord, he knows. And let Israel know, if this had been in rebellion or disobedience to the Lord, do not spare us this day. If we have built our own altar to turn away from the Lord and to offer burnt offerings and grain offerings or sacrifice fellowship offerings, may the Lord himself call us into account. No, we did this for fear that someday your descendants might say to ours, what do you have to do with the Lord, the God of Israel? The Lord has made the Jordan a boundary between us and you, you uh, Reubenites and Gadites. You have no share in the Lord, so your descendants might cause ours to stop fearing the Lord. So the reason they built this altar was not to give sacrifices, not to cause disunity, but it was actually to foster unity, to be a replica altar, to say, one day in the future, if history is, is lost and, and you forget that we're all related, this altar will bear witness. It's a replica of the one in Shiloh, that we are one people. So there's a lot of great books on anger. I've read a few of them in preparation for this teaching series. One of the simplest is by Gary Chapman. It's called Anger. You got to be able to remember that. But he gives seven steps in saying, if you're angry or someone else is angry, here's seven steps to restore peace. Here's the first three steps. Listen to the person. Second step, listen to the person. Third step, listen to the person. Where Gary Chapman advocates here is hear their story. And then actually be patient enough to ask them to repeat their story in case there's some details they left out. And then ask some questions, but listen, listen, listen. And that's exactly what Phineas and the elders of Israel do. They say, before we go to war, we need to hear the whole story. Listen. So sometimes we need to listen, even if it means contradicting things that we have heard for a long, long time. Uh, I want to step very carefully uh, here with this next illustration because it could be misinterpreted. Let me first of all say that the civil rights movement in the 1960s was the right thing. Let me also say that sicking dogs on civil rights protesters was the wrong thing. So with all that being said, there's a picture I would invite you to look up online by Bill Hudson. It's a photograph that he took in Birmingham, Alabama. By the way, things were so bad that Birmingham was referred to as Bombingham. That's how bad things were during the civil rights tensions of the 1960s. And there was a protest that was set to happen. Protesters were marching out of a certain church and police and police dogs were lined up on the other side in a barricade across the street. And a young man by the name of William Gadsden stumbled into the police line and came face to face with an officer by the name of Richard Middleton. Richard Middleton was holding his dog. Uh, he was on the canine unit. So as Walter Gadsden and Richard Middleton come face to face, the dog Leo takes a lunge at Walter Gadsden. Bill Hudson was the photographer. He took that one picture. Probably you just need to, to Google Bill Hudson, Birmingham photo. It'll probably pop right up. You'll see this picture. It looks like that the police officer is sicking his dog on this young black man. That photo went around the nation and around the world the next day. 
and actually did quite a bit to spark a new interest in the civil rights movement. Now, I'm not talking about civil rights, okay? Civil rights are right. Sicking dogs on people is wrong. However, what I am talking about is that one police officer named Richard Middleton. Because you see that picture, that one snapshot, and you think that he's sicking his dog on poor Walter Gadsden. Well, here's the whole story. And by the way, I would encourage you to listen to Malcolm Gladwell. He's done a great piece on this, on revisionist history, in unpacking this whole thing. Walter Gadsden, the young black man in the picture, is not even a protester. He skipped school that day to go watch the protest. And by the way, when his parents saw his picture in the paper, he got in trouble for skipping school. That would be just my luck, as the one time I would skip school, I would be in the paper, right? The police officer, Richard Middleton, he was actually on the opposite side of the road, away from the protesters. There was a buffer zone between the two. And the young black man, Walter Gatson, just walked into the wrong place at the wrong time. Richard Middleton and his dog turned around. The two met just briefly, and Leo, the dog, overreacted and leapt at the young black man. You know what Richard Middleton, that police officer, is doing? And this is according to all the witnesses around. He was pulling his dog back, and he was pushing Walter Gadsden away. He wasn't attacking with his dog. He was trying to save that young man from being attacked from the reaction of his dog. But it was in that one moment, that one picture, that you can't tell if he's trying to attack or to save, but we make our assumptions, don't we? Now, I mention all that to say if that photo was taken today, we would find out who that police officer is, Richard Middleton, and we would ruin his life before we would hear the whole story. This is why when we just see a snapshot we need to be careful about making snap judgments and find out for yourself. Hear the whole story, even if it means questioning things that you have heard your whole life. So the Israelites do listen to the Reubenites, Gadites, and the half-tribe of Manasseh. Fortunately, it works out. I do love this wording here that I want to read. And Phineas, this is verse 32, Phineas, the son of Eleazar, and the priest and the leaders returned to Canaan from their meeting with the Reubenites, Gadites, and Gilead, and reported. They were glad to hear the report, and they praised God, and they talked no more about going to war. I love that phrase. You know what? I think as followers of Jesus, we can do better. As followers of Jesus, we, of all people in our culture, need not react. We need to act. We, of all people in our culture, should not be quick to be judgmental. We should practice good judgment. We, of all people in our culture, should not be stubborn. We should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And before we get angry before we automatically assume somebody is ignorant or be before we assume somebody is evil, we need to find out for ourselves. And so let me give you a little memory tool for this, a little way to remember this. By the way, I'm learning and forgetting and relearning and forgetting and relearning this same lesson over and over again. Find out for yourself before you jump to any conclusions. 
here's the best thing I can do by way of a reminder. It would be a cup of coffee. So back in 1605, coffee was just beginning to emerge on the global scene. And mostly it was Arab nations that were producing, predominantly Muslim cultures that were producing coffee. And it was finding itself into Christianized Europe. And because it was produced by Muslims, it was often considered to be the devil's drink. And there was a move in the Catholic Church to condemn coffee as evil. Well, Pope Clement VIII, before he passed judgment, he said, let me have a taste. And he loved the aroma. He loved the taste. And he approved it for consumption by Christians. Pope Clement VIII is the patron saint of coffee. May the Lord bless him and keep him and make his face to shine upon him. What he did is he found out for himself. So every time you pick up a cup of coffee, I want you to think about the value of that lesson. Of finding out for yourself. It might alleviate a whole lot of anger. Sometimes it helps to hear the whole story. And isn't this what Jesus said? He said in Matthew chapter 5, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons and daughters of God. Listen, we're not called to be troublemakers. We're called to be peacemakers. To find out for yourself. Can I also make that same application when it comes to Jesus? Because maybe you're listening to this and you have some assumptions about Jesus. And maybe you have some assumptions about even listening to a Baptist pastor on a podcast or on a video feed. And you have some prejudices against either Christians or Baptist or Jesus. Could I encourage you to find out for yourself? Don't just listen to rumor and speculation and what other people think. You you become your own person. And you think for yourself deeply about God and the things of God and who He is and that He might love you after all. And instead of being angry at God and wanting to give Him a piece of your mind, maybe you can find peace with God through Jesus Christ when you find out for yourself. God, we confess, and we have to learn and relearn this lesson so many times that Oftentimes, it's our own assumptions that cause us to be angry. We assume everyone is evil or everyone is ignorant, and certainly there are plenty of both in the world, but not everybody, and not all the time. So help us to not make the assumption that the world would be a better place if everyone thought exactly like us. In fact, the world would probably be a very boring place if everyone thought just like us. But help us to think for ourselves. And help us to think clearly. Help us to find out for ourselves, to hear the whole story. And I thank you for the whole story of the gospel. God, when we hear the whole story, we discover your love for us. Help us to find out for ourselves. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you. And may God grant you peace now and forever. Amen. Thanks so much for listening to our weekly message podcast. At the end of each worship service on Sunday morning, I offer a simple blessing, and I offer that blessing to you today. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you. And may God grant you peace, both now and forever. Amen.